Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Faces of TBI podcast series. My name is Amy Zalmer, and I am the founder of FacesofTBI.com and the host for today's podcast. The goal of this podcast series is to bring awareness to traumatic brain injury, and it is created by survivors for survivors. Each week, you will hear from survivors or caregivers or medical professionals or other people who are interested in the advocacy of TBI awareness to continue to bring awareness to this invisible injury. And it's also just a way to help unite and educate fellow survivors. So those of you who don't know me, I am a TBI survivor. I had a fall on the ice in 2014. I am currently a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, writing mostly about TBI, so be sure to check me out on there. And I also volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. I created facesoftbi.com, um, so it's a place where you can follow my blog to read more about me and my journey. You can sign up for my TBI newsletter. And you can also learn about upcoming podcasts and listen to any previous podcasts that we've recorded. And you can also check out my recently released book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Amy Zellmer on both of those platforms. I would love to follow you back. And now for today's show, my guest is Dr. Richard Senelik. He is a physician specializing in both neurology and the subspecialty of neurorehabilitation. He received his undergraduate and medical school training at the University of Illinois in Chicago and his residency in neurology at the University of Utah. He has lived in San Antonio, Texas for over 40 years where he has served as the medical director of Health South RIOSA and the Rehabilitation Institute of San Antonio, and is since its inception in 1988. He is also the editor-in-chief of the Health Self Press, the publishing arm of one of the nation's largest rehabilitation hospital systems. He is an, an associate clinical professor in the Department of Neurology at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. So welcome to the show, Richard. I'm so happy to have you here today. Good morning, Amy. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. Are you guys getting the horrible rain in San Antonio, or is that kind of more south and east to you? Uh, no, we're getting it. And uh, we got yeah. a lot of flooding the other day, And but the, about the biggest crisis has been that it has rained out our golf game three times in a row. So, oh, you know, no. That's <laughs> that's crisis proportion. That never makes it to the national news. But, um, so, yeah, and it's um, gloomy. And it's not uh, typical San Antonio, though, spring we can get a lot of this. I'm a Yankee from Chicago. I mean, I'm from the north. So uh, we're happy to take this because at least we don't have to shovel it like snow. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you're taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to be here today and chat with my listeners. Um, And today, I just really want to address the topic of children and concussions and what to do when your child has a concussion. Um, 
So I don't know. What's the best way to dive into this? Do you have any um, anything you want to say right away with it, and we can kind of jump in? I, I'm rather simplistic. So um, I always like to put things in buckets or divide them up. Um, cause mm-hmm. Somebody will listen to a podcast or listen to a lecture, and, you know, they're only going to come away with so many takeaway points um, that you can actually remember. So I think the question becomes, first, who are we talking about? Because children is this wide category. It's like infants. Um, it's like little kids. And then it's what most of us have to deal with. I mean, now I'm dealing with it with grandchildren. I feel like I've got to have a speed pass to urgent care. Um, is sports. <laughs> the kids are involved with sports yes. or their bicycles or things like that happen right. to you. And I think that's, um, that's the area that I was – most thinking in my head, like that youth age bracket. Yes, and I mean, it's um, if you look at national statistics, I mean, we're in Texas, so people always say to me, um, you know, no neurologist in their right mind would let their son or grandson play football, tackle football. Well, it's Texas, so we do. Um, <laughs> and, and then you you kind of deal you deal with it. So we deal with with kids all the time who from sports are getting injuries. Interestingly, if you look nationally at what causes the largest number of head injuries, it's bicycle accidents. So if right. parents could do one thing, it would be to make sure that their child wears a bicycle helmet all the time. If you're looking at preventing head injuries, there's this misperception that, that helmets are expensive um, I know if, if anybody who's listened to this who goes skiing has really noticed the change in the last 10 years. Now just about everybody on the mountain wears a helmet. Um, right. But I think when your child sports, you need to look at, well, where are they playing sports? So let's, you can start first at the non-school functions. And so it's dads and moms who are the coaches who are on the sidelines and monitoring the game. So if you're in any type of a contact sport um, and people think, well, that's just football. But soccer is a big cause of head injuries, and particularly for, for young women. Um, they're more likely to get a head injury there than in, than in some other sport. Even basketball, uh, and just last week my 13-year-old granddaughter um, broke her nose uh, in baseball tryouts in middle school. So she was lucky. It hit her in the nose. It didn't hit her in the head, didn't hit her in the eye, in the mouth. Um, and so there's a variety of, of places that this can happen. So that was at school. But let's go back and say you're now in youth soccer, youth football, youth baseball, and it's moms and dads. I think the question you want to ask um, is have the Co. It does the coach or the parents who are in charge have they had uh, training in concussions so that the American Academy of Neurology, the Brain Injury Association, all have great online programs for like heads up um, for concussion management and are they properly instructing these kids and do they know what to do uh, in Texas? If you take the, the state as a whole and you even go to the high school level of football, so this is pretty high level. Um, I mean, we'll draw 15,000 people to a game in big cities. Um, 
half the schools don't have a certified athletic trainer. So I think your responsibility as a parent in prevention um, is to find out, make sure that the coach has had adequate training, knows what to do, and that, that you intervene if you think that, that they've, had, they've been involved. At the school level, um, it's usually a different story. The coaches should be trained and should be involved and should have pretty strict criteria as to concussion management. Um, and then I think you need to look at the group of kids where we're focusing on sports, but when you had your head injury, you weren't involved in a sporting activity, I don't think, right? You were slipped no, um, right. and fell, a slip and fall, which um, particularly in my age group, as we get older, that's the most common cause of head injury. I know it's not talking about kids, but little kids, don't you wonder how little kids survive their childhood um, with all the falls and hitting their head? And uh, fortunately, their skull's a little more elastic, and, the, and they seem to, to bounce back. So I think we look at regular life. Um, I don't know if you want to go what? into um, what do you do if, if, if you think your child has had a concussion? Well, and that's what I was going to ask. Like, what should a parent watch for? Um, like, I've had a couple friends recently who um, I had one friend, her daughter fell down the stairs. Another friend, her daughter fell off her bike, like what you were talking about. Um, and then another friend, um, he was playing football. So what, as a parent, should you be watching for? Like, obviously, the child playing football, the trainer pulled him off the field. But the other two instances, they were at home. You know, they weren't, they didn't have a trainer or a medical professional around. So what are the big things you should watch for um, if you think that your child has hit their head? What should you watch for? What should you be aware of? And definitely, when should you take them into the doctor? From the, from the medical side, you know, we, we have fancy words for everything. And so we have a group of signs, things to look for, and then we have a symptoms, things that are happening to, to the child. Um, parents know their kids. I mean, they know right. them inside out. And the key is, I always say, are they different? The question I always ask if I see somebody in the office, where, uh, you know, an adult or a child or that, I say, you know, are they acting any different than usual? I mean, is there any difference in their behavior whatsoever? And a lot of times you'll get, well, you know, they're just a little foggy. They just, you know, they, they just seem like they're a little slow. And, you know, there can be a tendency to, to blow that off because it's, it's not formal medical, you know, terminology. Right. That, that's pretty sensitive. In other words, if we had a, somebody had a head injury and you say, you know, you know Amy's a little foggy. She just isn't as fast because... The speed at which we process information, you and I are going back and forth with this conversation, and it's going smoothly. Um, but what if there was just a slight hesitation in my ability to respond, and you know me, and now I'm not as responsive. I'm a little slow. I'm a little slow, and, and just talking to you, not necessarily, you know, I want you to remember the word world. I want you to spell it backwards, the, the stuff that neurologists do. So I think that's a real sensitive thing for parents, and you have to have a high index of suspicion that if, if your child looks dazed, in other words, you don't have to lose consciousness to have a concussion. Um, right. Clearly, if you lose consciousness, I mean, you're, you're done. First, if you have a concussion, you're done with 
play that day, but let's say you fell off your bicycle, mom's home, and she's trying to decide, do I go to urgent care, who do I call? If this child seems like your same old miserable child, uh, then you can just watch them. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, what, what watching is. But if they're dazed, stunned, slow to respond, as the day goes on, if they get moody or you think their personality is different, um, then your antenna need to go up. Um, those are signs. Then we, we can look at symptoms, and these are the things we think of more commonly. Oh, my child's complaining of a headache, and they never complain of a headache. They're, they're throwing up or have vomiting. They're dizzy. They're saying that things don't look the same. Things look a little blurred to them. Um, they don't like the bright light. They want to be in a dark room and be left alone. Um, so those are kind of more symptoms that should get your get your attention. Um, so that I mean, and then that falls in the acute the category of okay, your child's had a concussion. Um, then we're going to go one way. Let's step back just a second and say your child fell off their bicycle. Oh, they got, you know, they were playing ball and uh, they got hit a little bit with the head with a bat and got a bruise, but they're fine. You know, they're not complaining of anything. They don't, they're not having any of all those things I just spoke about. Then I think it's perfectly fine to just say, you know, I'm going to watch you. And if it's nighttime, well, you're going to wake, you're going to go in and make sure you can wake them up every couple hours. Um, If it's daytime, just kind of keep an eye on them, and if they're napping, kind of do the same. And, you know, we, we never use aspirin in children because of what's called Rye syndrome, which is a, a, a terrible disorder of swelling of the brain and liver disease, and that's why no, pediatricians don't recommend ever aspirin. But you don't want to use, a lot of times people say, well, I'll give them ibuprofen. And ibuprofen is great for headaches and pain. It also can cause some bleeding. Um, if you talk to folks who take it, they can be more likely to bruise. It affects the platelets. So if you're going to give your child something, you just want to give them acetaminophen or Tylenol. And if so, if they if they're you know same old child who's you know just complaining because he's got hit in the head and has a you know in Texas we call a pone a swelling you know it has a bump on the head. I think you're okay watching them. Any of the other symptoms. I think you go to what's ever, and it depends on the community. Um, most people find going to urgent care. If you can go to a pediatric urgent care, if you're in a big community that actually has pediatric urgent care, the docs are going to be more attuned to dealing with a concussion in a child. Um, because if, if, if you wait to get an appointment, I suspect, or call your pediatrician or call your primary care doctor, you may not get in that day. Um, so that works well. I mean, in a big city like San Antonio, um, so for your folks that are in big cities, well, you have all kinds of choices. And sometimes your choice of the hospitals have emergency rooms that are out in the community, and they're much better equipped to deal with this. They actually have CAT scanners, CT scanners of, of the brain, as opposed to just the urgent care, you know, you go for strep throat. What do you do if, if somebody says your child's had a concussion? Uh, well, that's, that's kind of a different story. And you say, well who, well, who do I go to? I mean, 
some and many is it's become such a big issue um, with the National Football League and the worried about multiple injuries, the movie concussion. Um, there probably isn't a person left in the United States who doesn't you know know about concussion at least as a term. But will your family doctor know enough? And most will. Right. Most pediatricians and most family doctors. I don't know if I agree with that statement. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about it's it as my a place. Experience. To, no, as a place to start. Um, because, but the other thing you can do, let's say it, if it happened at school, that's easy. Ask the athletic trainer or the coach who's the team physician, who's the sports medicine doc, who are they using to send for concussions. Because, again, the problem you're going to have is if you say, well, I want to see a pediatric neurologist, and you call up, how long do you think it's going to take you to get in? It's, it's going to take, I mean, you're not going to get in today and tomorrow or this week as a rule unless, unless you're me and, you know, like when my uh, son calls and says one of the grandkids has been hurt, I pick up the phone and, you know, it's easy to get access. Um, so, I mean, I think you're right. Not everybody knows about the long-term management of brain injury. but I Right. And, you know, what I'm seeing with a lot of my friends, because, um, you know, the, the blessing is that people are coming to me because they know I've dealt with it. And they're like, you know, we took our son or our daughter to our family physician, and they're like, oh, yeah, he has a concussion. He should be fine in a few days. Just take him home. And, you know, going back to what you said about how you know your own kid, and both of these moms are like, our kid is not okay. Like, she's having blurred vision, and he was having, like, he couldn't concentrate. He couldn't do his homework. Like, there was bigger, broader issues. Um, right. And their their family doctor was just like, oh, no, they should be fine in a few days. Um, and I know my one friend, they found, um, we have a concussion, a children's concussion clinic here in the Twin Cities. So she was able to get her daughter in there the next day, and they were amazing. Um, but this other woman, she was still struggling with, because he was a senior in high school, um, and the coach wanted him back in the game. And she's like, oh, no, yeah, I'm not letting a, him play. That's a, a, a bad situation. And so what the people who are listening to this podcast, the problem is you've got to look at what are the resources in your area. So you're in an area that had really good resources to get that information. Most of the country doesn't have that. Um, right. Now, you are a, here. This is obviously a great resource. Online, there are great resources. Um, I went ahead and you know just Googled you know the what should you do if your child has a concussion just to see what was there. And there's a lot of good information there. Um, so a lot of times, what I think gets interpreted as I want you to just take it easy, and then let's see if symptoms go away, um, is if it was put in a more formal thing like probably the concussion clinic does and says, look, I don't want you to take any aspirin or ibuprofen. I want you to only use Tylenol. I want you to rest physically and mentally. So no strenuous activity. I want you to, um, you know, if school's too hard, we're going to stay out of school a little bit, or we're going to talk to the school and give you a note, we'll lighten the load. Um, and if you feel more comfortable in a dark room, that's fine. And we'll see what things look like in a week, and if you think symptoms are getting worse, 
you know, then we may do something different um, if, like, the child hasn't had a brain scan. I mean, if they've had a brain scan already. So a lot of times, um, you know, I know this is going to be contrary somewhat a little bit to what you just said, is the problem is it isn't presented the correct way. The, the doc just says, well, hey, you know, I think you're going to be okay. Just go home and, you know, take it easy. Rather than getting really sort of formal instructions of what is graded return to school, what is graded return to right. activity. Um, and exactly. So a lot of it's how it's presented um, more than more than anything in getting the schools to understand. Um, you have the whole problem also of underreporting, is that most kids uh, and children, and particularly involved in are going to underreport. They're going to want to. They want to get back and play, so that it's really incumbent upon the parents to say, you know, my my son or daughter is not back to baseline. Right. Like my one friend, her son, he was varsity um, football player senior year, and the coach wanted him back in the game, and the doctor had actually cleared him, and she was like, no. He is not going back in that game because um, yeah. she had read my book. But she's like, he's not himself. He just kind of walks around in a daze. Like the kid thinks he's fine, you know. Like you just don't know any better when you're like that. Um, and she's like, he walks around in a daze. He has trouble doing his homework. He, you know, he gets lost driving. And she's like, that's not normal. <laughs> You know, yeah, and, so, it's, and it's interesting in our high-stim society today, particularly with kids, you know, I mean, try and sit at the table with my teenage grandchildren and have a conversation, very difficult, you know, to get them away from the devices. So when we talk about mental rest, I think, oh, okay, you know, yeah. maybe we'll, you know, school, we won't take tests, but look at the stim they're getting from computers, video games, TV, loud music, um, and all of that needs to be controlled after a concussion. And a lot of times, okay, you know, we'll let him lay in his bed in the room and, uh, you know, he's got the headphones on or, or he's Instagramming and Snapchatting and tweeting and whatever. Um, and and that's, people forget that that's a lot of stim and a lot of mental activity. Yeah, it is. The, um, you know, the good news, so, I mean, the, so that people listening is, I mean, the good news is that 90% of concussions, you know, 85, 90% resolve in 6 to 12 weeks. And the small group, which we call the persistent post-concussive syndrome, uh, or they're also called, there's a nickname from a, a, a paper from years ago, which is really a, a good, I love it. It's called the miserable minority because they are miserable. Headaches, blurred vision, trouble concentrating. So I think what docs are doing is when the doc says, you know, hey, I think things are going to resolve over time, they're right. What they're failing to do is to give you strategies to use during that time. Yes. Uh, and, and rather than just being throw out, you know, you're out, you're out in your rowboat in the middle of the ocean by yourself. So I suspect what the concussion clinic does is follows the person, gives them good strategies of how to control yes. overstimulation both physically and mentally, and then how in a graded way to return to school, to return to social activities, or return to sports. 
what every parent listening to this needs to know is any any athlete that's had a concussion is done for the day, okay, that day, and done until a healthcare professional physician returns them to play. Um, and they, you need to even, especially if anything, I had to actually go out on the field last year for the opposing team is that they had a player that had a concussion. I went over, checked him out. I said, he's done. You know, and this was all parents because this is my grandchild. So this was 11-year-olds. And they put the kid back in in the second half. And I had to actually, I crossed the field, you know, went around, and they were really hostile toward me about it. But I said, if you don't take them out, I'm going to report you to the league. Um, and they thought I was doing this just because my grandson's playing on the opposite team. But you have to be very proactive. If you think your child or any child has had a head injury or concussion, it doesn't matter if it's the most important game of the season, you make sure that kid doesn't play. Right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think that's what happened with my my friend's son is they were going into the, the final, the playoffs or whatever they're called. So I think that's why they wanted him in so quickly. And she was like, no. <laughs> and I give her lots of props for keeping her son out, you know, because it's that secondary impact that could really, really, you know, mess you up if you haven't recovered from that first concussion. Well, it might kill you. It's the thing called second impact mm-hmm. syndrome. These are the kids that you hear about, you know, Texas, Florida, where football's so big um, that it's Friday night and uh, you hear about Bubba just collapsed on the field and died. And what happens is yeah. if you haven't recovered and the, the the childhood brain is an immature brain. It's different than your brain and my brain. It responds differently to injury. And there's something called regulation or autoregulation that controls the amount of blood flow and oxygen and swelling in the brain. So if you haven't recovered from the first injury and you get hit a second time, and it doesn't even have to be a major hit, you may suddenly lose consciousness and your brain may lose this regulation and get uncontrollable swelling and you die. So it's not common, but it does happen. It's called second impact syndrome. So we have real good mm-hmm. reasons, not to, not this cumulative effect necessarily, the CTE, but your child is at significant risk just by putting him back in the game right then and there. Right. Well, Richard, we are down to the last couple minutes. Is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to mention or any parting words of wisdom that you have for parents out there? Well, I, I, just, I guess I would just expand a little bit on just what you said is, is, is how courageous your friend was, mother, because mothers can be fighting fathers on this issue and right. that all the time because the dads and even the gramps get really involved and want the kid to play. And so this is one of those things to, I usually say, err on the side of action. You know, with like our people, if you're thinking, you know, do it, don't procrastinate. But this is err on the side of action of doing too much, of restricting your child from play. You'll never regret that. Um, you will regret that, that you let them play. And, and the other thing is to put all this in perspective, that chances are your child is not going to get an NCAA level one college scholarship or play in the NFL. Right. If we keep it in perspective of what we're talking about, 
um, it works. Now, would I rather that my grandson played violin or piano? Absolutely. But do I love it watching him play? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, yep. So um, I'm right in there. But err, err on the side of caution. Um, and the, you're a great resource. And there is a lot of information on the Internet on this for parents. A lot of there good is. information. Well, so wonderful. I, gonna, thank you so much. Um, thank you, Dr. Sonalite, for being here. This has, minutes goes by, it so. goes really fast. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I will have all your show notes up on my website so people can find you. Um, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. So thank you no so problem. much. Anytime and good luck and happy to talk with you anytime. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed today's show. And like I said, I will put all the show notes so you can find Dr. Senelec at facesoftbi.com and just click the podcast series button at the top. And again, be sure to visit my website, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellner. I love new followers, and I'll follow you guys back. So thank you all for listening. Thanks for being a part of my journey. I appreciate having you all here. And I will see you all again next time.